Good morning, Rabotai. Hanukkah Sameach. Breakfast this morning is sponsored by Joseph Safra in honor of Hazan Shmuel Levi, and as well uh, sponsored by Shilomo Suisa in honor of Sammy Sutton. Rabotai, it's important to understand what it is exactly that we are looking at when we look at this holiday of Hanukkah. We are very aware of the mitzvot, but quite often we're not aware of what it is that we're supposed to be doing with the mitzvah. Let me explain. Every mitzvah has its practical parameters. What that means is the way you fulfill it, how much it costs, how much oil, what time, etc., etc. But there's also a point that the mitzvah is supposed to be able to achieve. So when we talk about this idea in Al-Anisim, what do we say? What's the point of Hanukkah is? Elu lehodot ulehalel to give thanks and to give praise. One more time. So in, uh, in this, in this uh, tefillah that we say every single day on Hanukkah, what, it, what does it tell us the function of Hanukkah is about? It's not about lighting candles. In fact, the reverse. The lighting candles is about lehodotu lehalel. It's for the sake of being able to give thanks to God and as well to give praise to God. Now, we don't often think this way, but that is the function of the candles. So I want to talk a little bit about what this means. How, does this, how do the candles achieve the idea of lehodot ulehalel, to give thanks and to give praise? Ordinarily, if I would ask you how you think we would accomplish this mission, the mission of Hanukkah, to give praise and to give thanks, how would you do that? You tell me that we should be mandated every day to say a whole book of Tehillim. That's how you give thanks. That's how you give praise. But no, what does it say? You give praise and thanks by lighting the candles. By the way, we had a very similar example of this on a Torah, on a biblical level. When we talk about on the holiday of Sukkot, what do we say? You'll shake the lulav. And what does it say about the shaking of the lulav? Usmachtem. There's a joy in the shaking of the lulav. If you shook the lulav and you did not rejoice, you didn't do the mitzvah that it says in the Torah. So there's something about the lulav which brings joy, and there's something about the nerot which expresses lehodot ulehalel. But to understand this really, we need to get for one second into the mindset of what it was that they were being saved from. So I want you to imagine that you throw a big party, and you tell everyone who comes that this party is a su'udat hoda'ah, a party of thanks. And everyone comes, and finally you stand up and everyone's interested to see what exactly is it that you're celebrating. And you stand up and you say, uh, I want to thank Hashem for saving me. And everyone says, save me from what? What was the situation? What were you in? It's only when a person describes what they're in that they understand what it was that they were saved from. And they, therefore they have the ability to be thankful for it. So it's imperative, if this is the holiday, to understand the nature, the mindset, the subjugation of the Jewish people under the Greeks in order to be able to understand the Hoda'ah and the Halil. So today, what I'm going to do, instead of focusing on all of the uh, torture that the, that the Greeks brought, on all the pain that they put them through, I want to focus on what the Gezerah of the Yevanim was. So we go back to our trusty prayer of Al-Hanisim, where it teaches us exactly what their aim was. What does it say? When they stood up against the Jews, what did they stand up to do? The 
They had one intention when they stood against the Jews. Now, it's interesting, because if you juxtapose this part of the Al-Anisim against the other part of the Al-Anisim, which we say on Purim, you really get to see the difference between the threat of Greece and the threat of the Persian Empire. Because over here, what did we say they stood up to do? The shakecha to make them forget the Torah and to move them away from the mitzvot. So the one aim of the Greeks against the Jews was to cause them to forget Torah and not do mitzvot. When you look at the Alanisim of, of, of uh, Purim, what does it say? When it talks about Haman Arasha, what did they, Lashmid, Laharog, Laabed, to destroy, to kill, to plunder, to kill, to wipe out the Jews. So in one scenario, on Purim we're talking about the physical elimination of the Jewish people, but in the Greeks' case, we are talking about the spiritual annihilation, the ideological annihilation of the Jews. They wanted to wipe out, not Mordechai HaYehudi, they didn't mind Mordechai. They minded the last name was HaYehudi. See, Mordechai was dealing with a different thing than Matityahu. Rabotai, seeing as that is the case, the hoda'ah, the thanks, the praise. When we praise God, what are we praising God for on the holiday of the Greeks? It's very interesting. We all think about the war. The Maccabees, they fought, they won this war. It's not about the war. They didn't have to go to war. What are we thanking God for? We're thanking God that we are still Jews today. That we still have the capacity and the ideology that was almost taken from us in those turbulent and difficult times. In fact, the Gemara says a very interesting thing. They came to them and they said, you know what, you want to do what you want, no problem. No taxes, no torture, no killing, none of that. What do we want you to do? We want you to write on the horn of an ox, that's what you should write. On the, on the horn of an ox, you have to write, I have no portion in the God of Israel. I'm not for him, he's not for me. That's what they have to write. Now, can I ask you a question? Is that the dumbest thing ever? That's your gizerah. Go get the ox horn and write this on the ox horn. And I was thinking, what could they want with that? And finally it hit me. What did they use oxen for back in the day? They used it to plow. Where are you standing when you're plowing? Right behind the ox. All day long, what's the guy looking at, the Jew? Effectively, the Greeks harnessed the power of advertising. You're walking down the street, there was the first billboard was on the Ked and Ashur. What were you looking at? You're looking at this line that says, I, I, t the, I rescind my membership card to the people, to the peoplehood of Jew, of the Jewish people. I rescind my membership card to God himself. Look at that, day in, day out, what happens? Eventually it makes an impression. If you think that the adverts that you're watching or that you're seeing in the street don't make an impression because you think you're impervious, think again. Ads not only convince us, by the way, to buy products, they convince us and they inform the way we see the entire world. There was a fascinating documentary within which they analyzed the changing nature of what is considered to be beauty. A beautiful woman, hundreds of years ago, does not look like what we would call a beautiful woman today. That means that society has decided that what was once beautiful in the form or shape of a woman is no longer beautiful. That woman from back then that was considered beautiful today, she would be considered by our standards obese. 
She would need to go on a diet and go to CrossFit and Mabarif and juice, go on juicing programs because she'd be obese. Who decided that? How did that happen? How did they convince you and me and our children and uh, both boys and girls that the only thing that's beautiful is a size zero? When did that happen? You know what it is? It's osmosis. Watch the ads. Watch the screen. See this, what we're holding up as the ideal woman long enough and without even having a choice, you just bought into it. The Greeks knew, put it on the back of the horn of the ox. Just let the guy go to work, don't bother him. Send him to work, let him watch all day. I have no portion in the God of Israel. What will happen? Eventually, the guy wake up one day, you know something? I've been thinking, honey, he says to his wife over dinner. Do I really have a portion in the God of Israel? And she says, what brought this on? He says, you know, I don't know, I've just been thinking. You've not just been thinking. Something that's present all the time in your field of vision, it's a form of brainwashing. Okay, the Nerot Chanukah therefore stand in juxtaposition to this. It reminds people actually, actually, that our job in this world is not to be people who are influenced, who have people make up our mind for us, but rather, like the Navi says, that Am Yisrael is supposed to be or Lagoyim. You don't just light the Hanukkah candles inside your house under lock and key in your dining room. You put them in the window. We have our own brand of advertising. We're showing the world that there's another way. There's the way of light, the way of Shemen, which is referred to, to as Torah, which represents Torah in this world. Rabotai, I want to end with this one idea. If this is true, like the Pasuk says, Lo taturu Do not veer after your eyes. That means that when your eyes see something, the bottom line is that it will make, it will make an impact. If that's the case, it is imperative for us on the holiday of Hanukkah to decide for ourselves what we expose ourselves to. What are we watching? What are we reading? What are we learning? What are we talking about? Because these things, whether we like them or not, they have an impact. Even on a regular news station, News Radio 88, you don't think of it as an improper thing, but you're sitting there sometimes with your children in the car, and they're talking about these crimes and these issues and these things, which are completely inappropriate for a child to be listening to. Do you turn the radio off each time? Your kid's hearing that. It's so important to be able to recognize that our homes are supposed to be bastions of light, of understanding, of sensitivity. Once we recognize that Borei Olam did this for us, then there's lehodot u lehalel. And what's fascinating, I'll end with this as I said, the idea was all of the oil that they had was all tameh. Can I ask you a funny halakha? I'm not sure everybody here learned Masechet Zevachi, Menachot, all the halakhot of Kodashim. But there's a law when we learn about Korbanot that goes as follows. Repeat after me. Tum'ah Hutra Tzibur. Let's say everyone in the community is Tameh, or every object is Tameh. If the Tzibur is Tameh, the halakha is, they, that oil that was Tameh, were they allowed to light it for the Menorah? They were allowed to light it. So the whole miracle of Hanukkah, to find one big thing of oil, to make it last for eight days, it was pointless. They could have lit anyway. And the answer is, it was pointless if you don't understand the whole point of Hanukkah. The whole point of Hanukkah was, how could we light it if it's Tameh? God had to make an unnecessary miracle, an unnecessary halachic miracle, for the sake of the outlook of the hashkafic win, when Am Yisrael would be able to recognize that the whole point of it was to have a triumph of tahara over Tumah, a dedication 
of Tahara over Tumah. A rededication in our time that as once there was a nest and the nest was that they were able to beat Tahor in a world of Tumah, today in our world we beg Boreh Olam, not just for physical safety, but also in a world which is drowning in its own commercial and capitalist natures and tendencies. How can we be different? How can that happen? How can we save our children, our community from buying into the ridiculousness of our world? And the answer is just as God once did a miracle back then and allowed them to retain their nature, their beauty, their soul of a Jew, so too today in our world. Amen.